0: Good evening, everyone, and thank you very much for joining us tonight for the next session on those that can do. And tonight we're joined by Mark Bull. Um, Mark is a, a full-time private trader now, uh, has uh, extensive experience trading options, um, and has gone on his own journey to, to turn himself into a full-time trader and, and I guess a, a perfect person um to uh, have along to a session like this to to talk through his own experiences and for those of you that are interested in, in maybe going down a similar path to Mark uh, to see what you can learn from Mark. So we've known Mark for a while. He came and spoke at our ASX meetup session, which we held in Melbourne, um, which was pre-COVID. In another, seems like another lifetime ago. Welcome along, Mark. Yeah, thanks, Patrick.
1: Everything's okay. And uh, welcome, Ivan. I wasn't, I wasn't there, actually. I was. Uh, I, I believe I was potentially struggling with COVID day.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. You had, uh, you had COVID-like, flu-like symptoms um, and and called in sick. But that's all right. We're used to carrying the baton for you. All good. Now, any advice contained in tonight's presentation is general only. It doesn't take into consideration your personal circumstances. And you need to decide... For yourself whether it's appropriate for you. Past returns are not an accurate indicator of future returns. And if you're interested in trading options, um, and you know you need to know what you're doing, you need to get educated. So, look for those of you that are joining us through the options ASEX options trading game. Welcome along. Uh, I'm running this session tonight from my home and powering it from my mobile phone. Uh, my internet from my mobile phone. So, if the if the connection tonight is scratchy. Uh, my apologies for that, but um, thank you very much for coming along and joining us. These sessions, uh, if you're new to trading and we start talking about concepts or using terminology that you're not familiar with, um, still persist and stick with us. Um, the sessions are about giving you an insight from a trader's perspective, so there's definitely things that you can learn. Tomorrow night, we are running a session with Graham O'Brien, who is the head of equity derivatives or options on the... Uh, ASX, the ASX, uh, and we're running an education session. We'll be primarily focused on volatility, which is something that I believe I'm expecting Mark will reference, knowing Mark quite well, yeah. um, in tonight's presentation. So, um, you know, thank, thanks, Mark, for, for, for taking the time and joining us. Now, um, Mark, can I just ask, sort of as a, as, as, as a way of sort of getting back into the, the conversation, um, when and how did you actually get into trading?
2: Okay, I became interested in in options when I was working for a, a public listed company, and all these directors were giving themselves executive call options, and that sort of sparked my interest in exchange traded options. Well, obviously, completely different vehicles. And I just looked at the amazing amount of leverage that you could get. Um, so then you've got to focus on learning, and yeah, you know, I. I suppose I made the mistake of going to a Get Rich Quick seminar where they were telling you this risk free super trading strategy. And thinking back now, it's just such a crazy um, idea. It was, I think it was called the protected buy right. So you buy shares on margin, buy long dated puts and write covered calls every month. It was bullish and bearish and neutral, everything at once. And and you're just totally confused. And look, if you wanted to generate um, uh, premium from from selling options, you just do it through credit spreads. You don't have to go to the expense of buying stock and margin and long dated puts. It was an insanely stupid idea, and I don't know how they're able to promote this stuff, but it just appealed to people because you think it's risk free. And it's not. Um, so then you go down the path of, of, of making mistakes with that and learning. You know, I went to um, uh, a course run by Chris Tate and all his Bedford trading game forms, Very, very good. Uh, and they, they really focused you on looking at, uh, I suppose the first thing to look at is how much you're risking. Most people, when they start out trading, they, all they focus on is when do I get in, when do I get in? And then once they're in, they don't know when they're going to get out or how much they're going to risk. So I think um, anyone learning from um, a start should really almost do it back to front. Forget about the entries. Focus, first of all, on how much you're going to risk in the money management side of things. Secondly, under what conditions would you leave the market or exit strategies. And once you've developed those, um, focus on the entry because there's no point getting in if you don't know when you're going to get out. And a lot of the new traders just so keen to to get in without any idea of when their exits are going to be. And I think um, uh, that's where people start off, I think, the wrong way. Um, I don't know what you guys think, but that's
0: how I found it. Yeah. So, 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 Mark, when you got into trading, you became a. How long were you trading before you decided to make a move and become a full-time trader? And I and I'll add and the second question to that is, is: Was that always the plan, or was that always a, a goal of yours?
2: Look, it was always a goal. Um, I probably did it too quickly. Um, you need to take your time with these things, um, and and because your your psychology or the way you think is something that has to be developed before you can can actually do this. Uh, and I, do you want me to talk about psychology stuff now or, or a bit later?
0: It's, it's up to you.
2: Okay. Look, I think with psychology, I actually went to a trading coach, and it was a complete and utter waste of money. A, a lot of the, the the psychology, I think, is Oh, what a psycho babble. They all want to do new neuro-linguistic programming and all these um, wonderful ideas. But I think, you know, my accountant said, you've got to learn to treat trading as if it's a business. And but what sort of business is it? There's no customers, there's no clients. Um, it's just really you and the markets and how you engage with the market. And um, I've sort of learned there's, you know, you can just keep it really simple, like just do it, like the Nike approach. But Paul Tudor Jones has got a, a piece of paper above his trading screen um, and he talks about you know, losers, average losers. Um, learning what not to do is just as important as learning what to do. So I suppose in that funds management, stockbroking industry, there's a lot of people who push dollar cost averaging and it's the dumbest thing you can ever do. Um, so that's that's one way. But I've come to a conclusion um, there's, when you engage with the market, the market's always right. That's one thing you have to learn up front. If you start questioning the market or saying why is it going up or why is it going down or why is it going up and I don't like the politicians, um, you're challenging the market. And that's You're always going to lose because the market's always right. It's never been wrong never, and never will be wrong. So I sort of develop four points that I have on a piece of paper. Uh, each morning I look in. I've only been doing this recently because I, I went through a whole lot of ideas. Um, And to me, there's four points. And if I speak too quickly, tell me to slow down. Um, The first point to have is it's possible, and I've got this idea from Chris Tate and Louise, is that it's possible for prices to go higher or lower than I could ever imagine. And and haven't we seen that over the last um, last few months. And what I was suggested is that you get a, a chart on a weekly chart for something that's had a really long sustained move, something like, say, Fortescue Metals. In 2004, that was $0.20. It went up to $10. No one would conceive that something at $0.20 could go to $10, but it did. So uh, I think if you just take the view, the prices will go as high or low as you could ever imagine. And what I've actually done, um, as moving away from trading, as um, I play guitar, I'm always interested in the, the famous guitarists who sell their guitars. Last year, David Gilmour from Pink Floyd sold his guitars for charity. Now one of his most famous guitars called the Black Strat, and I have one, this little beast here. Uh, I paid $1,200 for it. He sold his, and at auction, now sure he's a fantastic player and I'm just a, <laughs> a hack. He's, all the experts said it could sell for about $150,000. At Christie's, the opening bid was $260,000. Within a matter of 30 seconds, it was up to a million and ultimately sold for $3.3 million. And yet all the experts had said it could get 150 dollars So I have a picture of David Gilmore on my desktop holding his guitar with this little money bag out, which was a promotional idea to sell his guitar because it reminds me and it really resonates with me that prices will go way more than what you think. So I think one of the reasons this, to having that is we have limiting beliefs in things. So if you can just constantly remind yourself the price will go where it wants to go and, and trying to challenge it or, or think that that you know better is a, is a really bad plan. Um, the second point is something that Mark Douglas in a book called Trading of the Zone mentions. He um, says, make yourself available to the market. And the whole idea of that premise is that uh, we need other traders to move the market. So if you buy something today, the only way you're going to be profitable is other traders come into the market and bid it up. You don't know if they're going to do that. So this concept of making yourself available to the market is a a really great idea because it means that you're not worrying about being right or wrong, you're basically going to risk a certain amount of money to see if those other traders are going to come into the market and move it for you. Uh, Even Paul Tudor Jones needs that. Oh, the great traders still need other people to move the market. So first point, price will go higher or lower than you can ever imagine. Second point, make yourself available to the market. That's the thinking phase. Then moving into the doing phase is place the trade, um, which is can be a difficult step to go through for some people. But the fourth most important point is that you don't know what the outcome is going to be, so you have to manage that outcome with stops. So on my sheet of paper, I've got those four points price will go higher or lower than I get everything possible, make myself available to the market, um, place the trade and then manage the outcome with stops. That's the psychology stuff that I think is pretty straightforward and simple and works. We're getting all these really deep, um, uh, some psychologists want to look at your childhood and your background and they go into this relentless psycho babble. but I think if you treat it as a business and look at those four points, it can make things uh, a whole lot easier because if you see a signal, and what I've done is, is go back in times when... And I think what you've got to do is you, if you don't take a trade and you, you don't think it's right, that's, you're looking for excuses. And I think it's a really good idea to, to write a list of the excuses. And I'll give you one of the most pathetic excuses I've ever had for not taking a signal is the signal's generated on a Friday. Oh, I don't want to hold it over the weekend. What if, what if Saturday I wake up and the market's moved against me, I'm not going to have much of all again? That's an insanely stupid idea because if the signal's generated on a Friday, the market is telling me to do something. It's not telling me to think and, and hesitate and worry about what may or may not happen. So um, I think writing a list of the excuses of why you, perhaps you didn't get in a trade or why you got out too early and keeping that journal is a great idea to, uh, to improve um, from making mistakes. I mean, we're all going to make mistakes, but you've got to be able to learn from them. Okay, that's uh, um, pretty much a, a simple idea, but it's very important.
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, spot on. I really enjoyed that. Now, the, what, in terms of um, what information are you using, Mark, to identify trading opportunities? And, and uh, yeah, I will say, I, I, I'll precurs that question by, are you these days primarily trading options or are you trading a bunch of different instruments? A
2: little bit of stock, but mainly options. But for me, as an option buyer, the volatility has been so high, it's been nothing to do. It's been very frustrating. Um, But look, I I guess I've summarised my um, trading into two areas, trading the trend and trading turning points at resistance and support levels. Now, one of the things about support and resistance levels, just because it's at support doesn't mean you suddenly go long. You've got to have a reason for getting into the trade. So. you've got to look at a pre-existing condition. And the greatest tool for for trading um, resistance and support uh, areas is a horizontal line, you know, and free on, on every chart. Most people overlook it. I think it's one of the most powerful trading tools there is. But once you're at that support or resistance line, you need a trigger centre. So if you like, the setup is the zone that... I don't use a line because it's too, um, too small. You just have a resistance zone or a support zone. Um, and then you, you look at basically a trigger. It's a candlestick pattern. There's no point entering on something if there's no reason to do so. It might be at support or at resistance, but if there's no reason to enter, just because it's at support and you buy it, it could, be, could go through it. <laughs> so you've got to have a, a setup, a reason to look at something, and then you're going to have a trigger causing you to take action. The same thing with trading trends. If you want to trade, um, if you want to buy calls or put bull spreads, if you're bullish, price needs to be above a moving average. So that's the first step Then you have the trigger, which is some sort of candlestick pattern. Um, I think that gives it pretty simple. So if you're bearish, you want price to be below, below the moving average, and then you have a trigger to enter. So that, that notion of having a, uh, a set up, which is a pre-existing condition, to cause you to either be bullish or bearish in your view, and then a the trigger to actually enter is, uh, is really important. So the, the tools I use are basically moving averages, obviously the 50 and the 200, horizontal lines, yep. gaps. Gaps are really great for showing support and resistance. Gaps start trends and they can end trends. They're, really, they're very much overlooked because people see a gap and they go, what do I do with that? Well, there's a tremendous amount of information in those gaps. And you know, I use uh, candlesticks as triggers. But look, implied volatility is so crucial in understanding the price of the instrument that you're buying. You know, you, if you looked at um, um looked at volatility um, most of last year. It was fairly standard and was really great buying opportunities. But when February and March, it, it just went ballistic. And you'd see really wide spreads, um, very little activity and, and very expensive options. Obviously, if you want to be an option seller through a credit spread, that's probably great. Um, but they probably the main tools that I use.
0: Yeah. And how often are you trading, Mark? Is you in, in, and how quickly are you in and out of your positions?
2: That's a, that's a pretty good question. Some days it could be as quickly as a day. Other, uh, the longest hold time is probably ten. Um, and mm. I probably, perhaps I can go back a little bit in that. Most people, you hear the story that eighty percent of options expire worthless, so you, uh, you're attracted to sort of the writing or the selling side of options. So I did that. I did the naked selling for three months and survived <laughs> just I was probably, and then I switched over to credit spreads and it was just a much much better yeah. way of doing things and if I could quickly talk about an idea for exits when I I had uh, call uh, sorry call bear spreads on on CBA NAB and ANZ just prior to the Gulf war starting and the market was in a downtrend and these were working really well one of the other traders I knew really well, I said, look, once you've got 80% of your profit for a credit spread, close it out. Why carry that extra risk just to squeeze out the last 20%? And I did that with two of those, and I thought, oh, no, I like, to, I like everything to expire worthless. So I, I, I stayed with the NAB one, and of course, I went from an 80% profit to 100% maximum loss because the, the market just exploded. But that's one of the things that Mark Douglas talks about is that is that anything can happen, and, and every moment in the market is unique. So you may think even uh, and there's a great trader called Linda Raschke who was a, a market maker in in America, and she was talking about how it volatility was high and with a week to go on a particular stock she wrote a naked straddle, thinking that everything was be, be fine because was only a week time decay was all the all the options sort of terminology was all there, but price gapped up twenty dollars overnight and her long call oh, sorry her short call got smashed, so. That's. I mean, I think you had a, a market maker on. I forgot his name uh, last couple of weeks ago, and he's talking Robbie. about the importance. Yeah, that's right. It's talking about the management yeah. management of risk. Well, you know, the iron condors is, is a much better idea than, than the naked straddled. So the thing is, if I think a lot of traders, um, if they haven't really worked on the exits, they think they want to sell a, a, a credit spread or, or something like that. They think, oh, well, I'll exit when it expires. Worthless. Yeah. May not be the best plan. It's it's. Yep. You have to look at the charts yourself and do a bit of back testing. But if you've got eighty percent of your profit on a credit spread, why hang out? But yeah. hang out that last twenty percent. Sure all the time the game may kick in. But if you're at a uh, um, at a support and resistance level, why not just put the money in your bank? You're know, just trying to squeeze that last little bit out, I've found to be um
0: So not just, just someone just asked the question, is this is this session recorded? It is recorded, and it is also on the screen there. You can go to Spotify and pick it up tomorrow, or Apple Podcast uh, as a podcast as well. So, Matthew, who's asked that question, just an FYI, it is being recorded. Um, Mark, in in, in your um, you mentioned you do spread trades, and you mentioned you're a buyer. Does that mean that you're doing um, bull call spreads, bear puts? Uh, What what other what strategies are you using?
2: Look, I, I like I like to simplify it um, to basically buy buying calls, buying puts. So I've done a lot of backtesting through the software, and um, if when the volatility is right, you make more profits from doing that. That's what I've found. Um, but each to own poison. If you prefer to do uh, credit spreads, if you're bullish, just do put bull spreads, I and mean, just the signals that generate. If you're bearish, do call bear spreads. If you like, if, everyone's different. You've got to find something that, that resonates with you. If you think, okay, I prefer to, to, to sell options through credit spreads or iron condors and that resonates with you, do it. But if you prefer to, to try and profit from explosive moves, either up or down, you've got to be a, an options buyer. Uh, but they're, they're different. You, you, you've, you've got to find something that, that works for you, that you're comfortable with and that, that suits your trading style. I mean, there are, um, in, in, look, at in the read the, the books, the Market Wizards, the Marty Schwartz, Linda Rashke, and Paul, Paul Tudor Jones, they're not long-term trend followers. They're not going to sit there and, and buy Fortescue Medals at 20 cents and let you go up to 10. They're not that type of people. Neither am I. Very few people are. It's, a lot of people say trend following long-term trends is easy to do. I think it's really hard to do because of people's psychology. Uh, it's really difficult. You get impatient, um, and and there are there are some people that can do it really well. I'm not one of them. Um, you know that's why um, I suppose options appealed to me. There was a, a time sort of factor in it, and working um, if you work on a, a monthly um, salary cycle, the whole like that monthly options sort of just appealed to me. Um, you know, I think that the trend following with the long term. You know, people looking for those outsized games. Like Linda Rasky, I listened to her talk on a webinar probably oh, two months ago. She said, and her husband um, was was Paul Tudor Jones. Broker. Very interesting couple. Um, and she said, I could never do that. If you can, great. You've got to fight. And that's part of the journey of a trader, finding out what sort of a person you are and what sort of style suits you. Everyone is different. No one is going to. Yeah, that's where these black box trading systems are a bad plan because. Everyone's it different. It's not going work. Yeah. The, you, I think the thing is, it's funny when Linda Rescue was talking, she said, look, all the great traders for the past, and she talked about Charles Dow and Shawbucker and all these um, people, and she mentioned one of the things you've got to do is become an independent thinker. And she said, okay, listen to people, listen to what they say, but go and do the research, look at the charts. So someone might say, oh, I like to... Um, Know, buy it, support, and sell it resistance. All this sort of, thing. you may look at that and think that doesn't work for me. You've got to do the research, look at the charts. Um, you know, especially over the weekend, spend you know three or four hours on a weekend just eyeballing charts. I think it's one of the best things you can do.
0: You mentioned um, you do quite a bit of back testing. Are you using our uh, back testing? Uh, yeah, tech I, to I, do I, that. Or are you yes, different? I have. Yeah, I have.
2: Been. Yeah, I have been. and it really helped me. Um, um, uh, particularly when you look at the, the um, I think it's the options chain, it, it just tells you what the delta is and what the volatility is of the option that you're looking at. And wow. I've, I've, I've formed some trading rules around that. But, God, I wish I had yeah. 10 years ago. You know, I mean, the, the, the junk that was around through Comsec and all these other terrible platforms, uh, they weren't designed for, to trade options at all. I don't know how. I mean, sometimes if you you get the direction right and you get the volatility wrong, it's, it it's doesn't work.
1: Yeah. Mark, you made, you made me go been... very well fuzzy about that uh, <laughs> platform. Thank
2: you. Oh, look, it's it's a really good tool. So I, I I won't talk about what I like to look for in terms of delta and and stuff like that because it's that's the way I do it. I don't want to give people other ideas, but most people would say, okay, uh, traditional options trading strategy. You've got to buy in terms of looking after the Greeks. If you buy at the money in ninety days' time, all the Greeks are going to be covered. But by doing that, you've lost the most important thing, and it's leverage. You don't need to buy ninety, day to, 90 days' time if your hold time is going to be less than two weeks. So um, I, it, I think it's a really good tool to backtest. I mean, it it's um, it, it just confirms in your mind. And and what what I've also been doing with the backtesting is um, I've Got to, uh, I could show you guys later, it's a position size calculator just on an Excel spreadsheet, risking some of the profits that you make to increase your position size, um, because if you start up with one contract, you don't want to be trading one contract in 10 years, you want to be building that up. So um, everyone's um, uh, degree of being able to risk profit is going to be different. Everyone's got a different risk tolerance risk. Um, it's you, You've got to be able to... And,
0: Sorry, Mark, I'll I just i, I I'll, I'll come back. I've got a, a few more questions. Marcus had asked, yep. do you buy out-of-the-money options rather than at-the-money to maximise explosive move, yes. moves? Yes, that's
2: right. That's right. There's, if you look at read market wizards, um, I think the guy's name's Tony Saliba. Yep. He, he, was, he was an options trader or is an options trader, and that was his plan. He's, he's looking to get these massive outsized gains where you just get a massive lift in in volatility and direction. They don't come along all that often, but when they do, it's payday. Um, so I, I think his strategy also was to do um, some, oh, I can't remember, I think butterflies. Oh, there's so many confusing names of all these things. But to generate Sir some Martin, sort of...
0: Point, if you're going out of the money, how much yep. time are you buying? Good question. Um, for me, I've, I've, got
2: some, I've got some written down rules in my thing, but I'm looking for yeah. about 20 days minimum time. And if the, the yeah. hold time is uh, uh, you know, five to 10 days, it, it can work. If it works well, look, the thing is, if it works, it works really well. If it doesn't work, you get stopped at. The most important thing about the exits, if the trade fails, my view is that I've bought an option for, say, $20. I can say. Look, $200. If it's lost half of its value, it's failed So sell it back to the market, go on to the next signal. It's got to be got to be fairly, um, fairly, uh, I wouldn't say ruthless, but very um, strict about that. Because if you look at some of the statements from uh, Jesse Livermore, he said he made all, all yep. the trades that he took, all the ones that was, were successful were successful right from the start. And if you look at um in fact we if, if I could go back and look at examples of um um the thirtieth of July of this year. Have you got that up on your screen? On XJOs? Uh the thirtieth of July two thousand
0: nineteen. Two thousand nineteen, yes. Yes.
2: Now that made an all that made an all time high, which going back, you know, how far do you go back to look at support and resistance as well, as far as as want. Far as uh That's a really significant point because when you're talking about an all-time high, how did it make that all-time high with a long upper tail? It, it wasn't convincing at all. The next day it sold off um, and then it just took off down. One gap, two gap, three gaps. Did you want me to talk about the gap strategy?
1: Yeah.
2: Okay. Um, Gaps, for, for people who don't know what gaps are, it's basically clear space between yesterday's close and today's open, and there's no overlapping of tails or anything. Um, gaps, in fact, if you just look up in any sort of research, there's plenty of information that talks about what gaps are and how to trade them. Um, there's, there's a, some people look for three gaps, where you have a breakaway gap, then a continuation gap, but the third gap is generally an exhaustion gap. And if you look at that third gap, I'm looking for a a third gap uh, exit in combined with a large candle of at least 2.5 ATR. Or look, it's very visual. You can see there that that price has gapped down and it's a long candle. If you go back, you'll see there's some sort of support with a a gap back here. But look what's happened to volatility. It's gone So not only have you got the direction right, you've got the volatility right. So on that third gap, Get the hell out of it. Sell it back to the market maker, and thank you. There are plenty of situations where gap, large gapping candles are really good exits, and it doesn't necessarily have to be the third one. Um, that's where it's a, That's where you have to have some trading rules around it. There are plenty of examples where price is going along, and then uh, that gap means that. People are panic selling at the bottom, or they're buying with exuberance at the top. It's a very, very good tool to give you some um, some information combined with implied volatility. You just don't do it on its own, and that's where I haven't had this, the access to this sort of stuff until you know, eight months ago. Invaluable information,
1: critical. There's um. <laughs> Thanks for a couple of positive comments there, by the way, on your uh, on your compliments. There was a couple of people who pointed out uh, Bryce and Ivan's beaming. Thanks for that. Um, okay. but a couple of questions for you from David. I thought that it, that probably would bring up. Um, if you buy an out-of-the-money option, would you use the standard STD, I'm assuming standard deviation, uh, to determine your strike price um, and ultimately the standard deviation of the share price?
2: Okay. Um, look. First of all, you've got to have the volatility at a at a, a level. And I'll just look at the XJOs. And it's got to be in the teens. There's no point buying options when the with implied volatility in the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, or even in the 70s, as we saw recently. Um, so that's the first consideration. You need to have implied volatility uh, uh, at a at a level where the options are affordable. What I'm looking for is to look uh delta of about 0.2 for calls and minus 0.2 for um for puts, um, probably about 120 to 150 points out of the money. Uh, generally, trying to buy them for around 200 to 250 dollars a contract. Uh, and if you get an explosive move like we saw in July, it works very well. But look, the other thing, and whilst you've got this here, look at that in terms of trend trading. We just saw over the last few days the 50-day moving average is starting to curl cool up. Look what happens here on this thing here, the moving average look, it comes back. This is what's called a retracement trade, where in an established trend, price pulls back to that moving average. There's your trigger, that's if that's a candlestick addition, that's a hammer, and it just takes off. Look, it happens, pulls back there, boom. So go back, have a look at your charts, put on a 50-day moving average, put on candles, and look how price behaves. When it's above that 50-day moving average, and it's the exact opposite. If you go back further, you'll see that when the price was below the 50, it pulled back to it a couple of times and collapsed. So, um,
1: I, think, in- um, I think I think there would be some value in you sharing your screen, or maybe using maybe uh, Patrick giving up control, because um, yeah. it looks like you're pointing to your screen while well, while well, some people aren't using. Um, and also, while, while while you guys are doing that, um, just quickly so you go in and set up a trade ultimately in most of the uh, options cookbook. Um, we, we sort of build around the 30 delta. Um, so uh, that turns out to be about half a standard yep. deviation. So you look at um, it's probably more around about, um, about 0.4 or so, of one standard deviation. And for sure. everyone that's new, uh, is just learning about that, that effectively means that there's a 68% chance of a move being within one times the IV. Um, it's one full standard deviation, and so then you just multiply it down. So anyway, maybe I'll just confuse people just a whole heap more, but uh, there's, some, there's plenty of stuff in education. that. I, I,
2: I think the other thing too to remember about, about options, options are a derivative. If you don't have uh, an understanding or a strategy of, of, of how to trade price, options aren't going to really, um, you have to understand the two. You have to understand the mechanics of options, but also you have to understand the mechanics of what Price is doing. Um, yeah. I think that's something that people get so wrapped up, because I'm not a really mathematical guy. <laughs> I suspect you probably are, either. Um, if you get over analytical like with the, yeah, <laughs> over-analytical with the mathematics, you can actually, um you can't see the um, what's the word? There? You can't see the the forest for the trees or whatever. It, it, it's you have to be it's, you have to be able to look at the two of them. I think um, to, to together um, understand what price is doing, uh, and then understand the options and what how that plays out. Because it, just say if you were using an XGO as a, as a chart to trade, and you were using F, ETFs instead of options you'd still have to be understanding what price is doing. There's no point buying stuff that's going down, and there's no point selling stuff that's going up in terms of the trend. Um, and that's where you have to be fairly um, stringent with... Uh, I, I look, I don't really like that term, range trading. I've heard it bandied around a lot, but to me it implies that there's, there's these lines that things are bouncing off. I think that, um, there's a great two quotes in in... My, in Bloomberg, he said, fortunes are made by those who can call the next turn. Paul Tudor-Jones talks about trading the turning points. Um, so, to me, the turning points happen at the support and resistance, provided there's a trigger for you to enter. Very important.
1: Mm-hmm. I love, yeah, no, I think the you the, the, the comment about Paul Tudor-Jones, like, I, I, I love the guy. Well, I, obviously, I, I more what he's been talking about trading specifically. But anyway, I thought that was interesting. So a um, uh, couple of interesting things. I, I, one, thing that, one thing that's one thing been sort of pointed out to me and maybe broadly accused of, uh, of me being very mathematical, i probably just point out, um, I came out as a, as, a, as a trader first and foremost and as a Delta One trader and, and sort of understanding uh, the mathematics behind options was something that I had to force myself to do really while uh, while we're building a risk management system, um, so you know, so it, it's interesting. I sort of the reason I, I guess I sort of came to, to the mathematics behind options um, as, as a trader after after the fact, which sort of was interesting. But um, one thing that I remember we spoke a little while ago on the phone, and, and you were talking about um, moving away from a daily chart to a four-hour chart. Um, maybe let's talk a little bit about oh, okay. um, oh. actual.
2: No, I, I, no, probably been, no I, I, I probably didn't explain that properly. Um, just say you're already um, at, a, at a resistance level, and uh, we'll have a look perhaps in – can we show uh, December the 2nd of last year? Is that possible to put up on the screen?
1: I'm pointing I'm
2: you
0: control. Oh, You okay. should be able to – yeah. So I can expand
2: – Everything on that. Can anyone see on the second? That uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, back. That's it.
1: I'm done for Done. Perfect. All, right, I let's pause see my
2: yeah. all I'm simply saying is that with, um, and I got this idea from Linda Rashke. She said all the really successful traders that she knows just don't look at one time frame. You may want to look at a weekly give you an overall picture. But say you're at a resistance level. Um, and there's nothing really jumping out at you. Uh, let's see if we can get back to where are we? That day there, that little green counter. Can you see those two upper tails? Mm-hmm. If you, if you were to put that onto an hourly chart, it shows up as an absolutely beautiful double top. Absolute simple, obvious stuff. The hourly's show, and in fact, sometimes what you can do on an hourly, if you want to look at the double tops, for entry is to simply move away from the candles and just go onto to a line chart. Um, mm. and it just shows the M's and the W's really simply. Um,
1: Some of the best trading used to when I just started out not knowing anything was, was sort of um we came about and I think it was it was interesting I went, my personal journey was went from lines to suddenly having so much on my chart to then ultimately going back to, to basics. Um but,
2: is there enough data to go back on to, to look at that particular scenario on an hourly chart
1: as opposed to a day? Yeah, yeah. just Why do you guys
2: talk amongst yourselves and I'll change it It'll take a while. Well,
1: while. While it's going on, Lance asked a question around, are you concerned about the lack of liquidity and reduction in market makers? Um, thanks for joining us, by the way, Lance. Um, uh, one thing, while, I think maybe that's probably a good question tomorrow for, for Graham, the yeah. Graham uh, from the act but... Overall, um, there's actually been quite a big pickup in, in market makers uh, overall. Um, we were talking about this with uh, with Nathan, who's a, who runs a, an options fund, uh, maybe five, six weeks ago, and uh, it was interesting how what he's observed, especially in the weekly options that don't have the same market maker support, there was a bit of a pull-out. And uh, I think that, I don't know if... if, if Anyone's observed anything differently, but it, to me, it seems like the market makers are back in now. Uh, yes, now that yeah, yeah it, things are a bit tighter, aren't they, Mark?
2: Yeah, well, uh, you just have a look at the open interest yeah. on XJO monthly options.
1: it's yeah. substantially
2: better than they were a month ago. Substantially. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It'd so, to hear the stats from Graham O'Brien tomorrow. He can tell you from the the, the mm. stats of. But, but you're right. Um, okay, here's this little. Can you see this little area here? Yep. That's that, that's what we were looking at when it was on a daily chart. But look at that on, on an hourly chart. It goes up, down, beautiful double top, and then you get in boom. So mm-hmm. all I'm simply saying is that if you're if you're at a support or resistance level, or if you're at uh, an area where you're, you're thinking there might be an opportunity, just have a look at an hourly chart, and it may give you a picture like that, or it may just show you something um, that that's more obvious. And what the uh, the dailies are. I think it's a good tool.
1: Mm. The kind of, you know, a lot of the guys that I've, I've sort of um, picked up trading with, um, they were always sort of looking at a tick chart and then a 15-minute chart, 30-minute chart, one hour, two, four, were really the key things. I remember I used to, um, I used to use the four-hour chart a lot more than the daily just because you do get a little bit more more info. Um, and I've never had so much success with the two, but then you know that ultimately i was sort of i remember talking about this maybe about six months ago um or maybe way longer actually with pat and i were talking about the kind of concept of okay well you know is it, is it how much it just comes down to how actively you want to trade and and of course it you know sense. and if, if you yeah because you know like if, if you're looking there's one point in time and i remember I actually went to a weekly chart because I just stopped I stopped you know, I just wanted to be in the market a lot more and and um catch longer term trends a lot more. I um, actually spent a lot of time back testing that stuff as well and anyway, there's no significant edge, but yeah sort <laughs> is perceived but um yeah, it's interesting I think uh, that particular scenario, and you know looking from it from a super high frequency trader about twelve twelve years ago or whatever uh less ten um you know you used to get these really heavy offers sitting there in the uh the in, in offer and uh it, you know and then and then eventually when when that was to go you, you get similar kind of patterns and then suddenly this big offer would pull, and suddenly there was like supposedly so much selling pressure that just disappeared and there's some really interesting games are going behind that, but sometimes um you get a lot of that information just from a chart which is which is interesting. Um question from from Danny is, uh, our...
0: sorry, when you're finished, I've got a question, so let me know when you're finished.
1: I was just going to read Danny's question, was that what you were going to do?
0: Right. No, no, I wasn't. Um, no? I wanted to know, um, Mark, just something you mentioned earlier around volatility being too high for you to be in the market. Where do you need to see volatility before you go back to buying options again?
2: Okay, it's a really good question. I, I like to see volatility on the – we just talked about XJOs um, in the teens and I'm looking for, you know, as I said, the, the, the rules that I've got are buying options with that 20 days' time, about 100, 125, 100, 100 points out of the money that with a delta of two. Um, so if you go back and look at the um, uh, options that were out of money by about a hundred points, most of last year, they're about a hundred points out of the money and at a delta of .2. At the moment, you've got to be about four hundred points out of the money to have a delta of two. It's just too far, and um, it, it's it's sort of telling me, it's a bit like. And, and my, my wife keeps on saying, "But when are we going to? You know, when's the next signal?" Um, and I said to her, well, when you go out shopping and you buy, she likes buying pumpkins um, just to make <laughs> pumpkin soup. So and I said, look, when you go to the supermarket and pumpkins $6, you don't want to buy them, do you? Well, this week they're a dollar. So she's more about five of them, you know, because they're cheap. So it's a, it's, a, it's a fairly crude analogy, but I think all I'm simply trying to say is that, okay, the pumpkins, at the moment they're a dollar. Two weeks ago they were $6. Why would you want to buy them at 6 when you can buy them for one? so you need, and it's a very crude analogy i know but it's it's accurate while you and i mean, Graham O'Brien keeps on talking about that really understand implied volatility um, yeah. and but by that options chain tells you the volatility and the delta just on each option it's fantastic you don't have to guess it it's there right in front of your eyes so if you have a look at uh, options when the volatility is around 10 11 12% now you'll get out of the money options um, with delta of point two if your calls or, or minus point two if you puts, about 100, 125 points out of the money. Um, and if 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 the trend accelerates, because my view is I'm trying to get them into in the money. I mean, I think one I reckon in the money, at the money, out of the money is some of the least discussed topics when it comes to options. People get obsessed with the Greeks. Um, uh, you could find that. Uh, even on the day of expiry, options that are in the money have intrinsic value, um, mm, yeah. and I think it's a really important no. consideration. Look, my my, my, that, my, aim? Aim, my dream is to basically buy something that's one hundred and fifty points out of the money and sell it when it's one hundred and fifty points in. No, um, it's going to work, but that, that's that's the basic objective. Um,
1: yeah, what's what's, um, what's your issue on that, Mark? Sorry. What's your win ratio? Do you find yourself winning uh, more trades than not, or is it really?
2: No, that's a really, really good question. Um, with um, I, I've only started using the 50-day moving average um, probably about eight, ten months ago. Prior to that, it was some. It was mainly an eight-day, and it was too much noise. Uh, my I've, I've back-tested signals that didn't work in the past. Uh, using a 50-day move, it would have kept me out of probably 80, 90% of the ones that didn't work. Uh, very important consideration. In fact, I looked at there was a, uh, on my old system, There's a signal to buy puts probably I know, about a, a week ago. Uh, but no, nah, it's above the 50-day, don't go near it. And sure enough, very good. It's a very good, reliable source. As I said, if you're bullish, you've got to wait for the price to be above the 50-day moving average. If you're bearish, Below the fifty, I think there's simple rules. I mean, Marty Schwartz, out of uh, market wizards, his simple rule is—I think he uses a ten-day simple moving average—but he trades very short timeframes. Uh, you know, he, he, he in fact, I think he's got his system structured so that um, he still calls a green light, red light. When prices above the fifty, the the moving average turns to green. That's telling him to be bullish. When prices below the fifty. It turns red. It tells it to be bearish. It's a bearish, its like a traffic light type thing. It—it um, it, it sounds simple, but it's the simple things that work. And if you read market wizards many times, yeah, you know, being above a moving average to be bullish and below a moving average to be bearish is a very reliable, simple tool, and it can keep you out of a lot of trouble.
0: Yeah, really yeah, can. Absolutely. I—I um, am I, not sure. Did you ask Danny's question, Ivan? I. Regarding no, you, but
1: I thought that I wouldn't interrupt you twice. But. <laughs> okay.
0: Um, look, I'll this, it, back this back. question lines up with maybe uh, a, a question or some, some questions around liquidity, but I'll ask it as it was, uh, as it was posed. What made you uh, move from stock options to index only? Oh,
2: liquidity <laughs> and tight spreads. Uh, I, I tell yeah. you what, what I, I, exactly what happened with me? It was I, I got, it was December um, two thousand and fourteen, about the twentieth of December, and and there was a signal to buy calls on CBA. I, I was doing a lot with CBA back then, and then I've looked at and it was with Comsec, and I've looked at the the bid and the ask, and all of a sudden it was like the the bid was sixteen and the ask was thirty. Prior to that, there used to be like a four dollar um, difference between you know in terms of the options they would generally buy. Optiva left the the market, and the liquidity just dried up. And I remember speaking to one of the guys at the AXX, I said, Oh, the reason there's tight spreads is because it's high volatility." That's you know, just BS. The reason they were, the, the reason the spreads were really, really wide is that there were four or five market makers, and mm. the biggest market maker in town had left. Now. I think um, one of the market makers called Vivcourt, uh has come back on the scene, and they were the people that were with Optiva. Um, but you know, this is what the ASX have really got to push. I think for for traders, particularly like if you're doing credit spreads, and I condors on on all these stocks, you need tight spreads, and the ASX really needs to to do something about that. Um, I, I think because um, you know, if if you're looking. For, for me, if I'm looking at buying, say say the, the bid and the ask is 16 to 34. If I buy it at 34 and I want to sell it back straight away, i I'm have immediately lost. Whereas index options, and I did that with the backtesting tool. Um, uh, you, it, it, if you want to see if something's liquid or not, go in the backtesting tool, buy it and then try and sell it back and see how you go. Um, if there's tight spreads and and, and high um, plenty of liquidity. It'll happen like that. But if it's wide spreads and low liquidity, you know, you get toasted. So I think it's very important to um, to look at the spreads, particularly if you're looking at equity options. Um, you know, I think that we've got this funny situation now. I remember asking Graham O'Brien about it. The weekly options have really tight spreads and no open interest. <laughs> yeah, they'll still trade them. Um but this was in, in uh, early February. Obviously in that in that March imp- high implied volatility time, they wouldn't touch it. Um market makers have got to manage risk. So that's why when the volatility is under control and the spreads are tighter, you can trade it. When you've got really wide spreads, not, not gonna touch it with a forty foot barge bulb.
0: Yeah. Um Chris has asked, um, "What time frame is Mark referring to the fifty moving average as a significant marker for bullish or bearish trades? Is this solely determined determined on the fifty day?"
2: Well, just have a look at the charts. Have a look at the charts and see uh, how price behaves when it's above a fifty and how price behaves when it's below a fifty. And uh, look at say from September to. Uh, January of 2018-19, there were some fairly solid moves down. Price moved down through the fifty. I, I look I just don't look at, at the the fifty only. I want to see um, it's just my rule, I want to see an eight exponential cross through that. Some people may want to see a 10 yeah. day cross through that. But also look at the other simple thing is look at look at whether it's pointing up or pointing down. Stand back have a look at the chart, you see, the, the, look at the 50 now, look at that little down there, it's starting to curl cool up. That's all you need to know, it's starting to curl cool up. Um, prior to that, go back and look at this time here. it's going up, up, it's not the only thing, but it's a very strong tool. Um, there are obviously support and resistance levels to look at, but that, 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 I, I basically run two systems, a trend trading approach, and a support and resistance or a, 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 it's not it's not range trading. I like to use the term turning points at support and resistance because uh, sometimes you can have a market in an uptrend like in, in the twentieth or twenty first of of February year, the trend was up, but there was a um, a, a resistance level to look at um, No one knew, and no one in their wildest dreams could imagine that it would drop two and a half thousand points in three or four weeks right. And look, at, um, I was listening to Linda Rasky talk. Uh, where oil futures traded at a negative price. That's never been seen. But I think getting back to that first premise, if you look at the signals that you've generated and if you've made mistakes, perhaps you haven't taken a trade or you've got out too early, just go back to, that, I think, those four points. Price is going to go higher or lower than you could ever imagine. Make yourself available to the market. Place the trade and then manage that trade using stops. Manage the outcome. Um, And if you find yourself saying, oh, look, the market couldn't go up because I don't like Donald Trump or the market couldn't go down because of this, you're challenging the market. The market's always right. There's no point um, disagreeing with the market because you're always going to lose. I think that's a a really hard, particularly if someone's, if you've come from a background where you're a CEO of a company or you're a, um, like today I had to go and see an old surgeon. He's in complete control. He can make things happen. But if you go from an environment where you're totally out of control, like you can't do anything to move the market, a lot of people that, are, that have been in that, um, that controlling situation find it really difficult to move into a market because they can't do anything to control it or make it do anything. They, they're simply a passive passenger. They're relying on the actions and behaviours of other traders. And that's where it is a, a very, um, for some people, a really difficult um, endeavour because you know if, as I said this oral surgeon he was in complete control and he had all the things that cut, had to cut into the jawbone and all sorts of things and you know, he was in complete control and knew exactly what he was doing and his actions and decisions determined what was happening. Now that's not trading you you can't, you, sure your actions and decisions can initiate a trade and they can end a trade but they can't determine movement. Other other traders have to do that for you, and that's where some of the traders really struggle—that they have to be passive in that phase. They can't actually do anything to push the market along. It'd be great if you could. I suppose Kerry Packer these days could make the market move. <laughs> Warren Buffett can probably make that. But look, there are traders out there that are big enough to move the market. But I haven't met anyone in this country. <laughs> you know, it's um. Uh, I think that's one of the hardest things to get you around. If you've come from an environment where you're in control and you're making things happen and you're uh, causing things to, to move, you go into trading, you can't do anything to make the market.
1: I think you made me realise why you need surgeons. And- Mark, I've got one. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> I've got one uh, last question from me, Mark, and that is if you went back to when you started trading, and you might even choose maybe the time when you went and became a, a, a full-time trader. What advice would you give yourself now if you if you could go back in time?
2: Okay, never sell naked no options. <laughs> and I assume with your platform, you can't even do that. So
1: yeah. we, we don't and, know. And
2: the, and the other thing is, um, work on your your. your Work on having courage. You know, I think that's one of the, the least talked about attributes of, of really good traders. And look this is still work in progress. All those four points I raised with you, today, that's still work in progress for me. I'm getting better at it. But that's the, the beauty of this game. You can improve what you do. You can improve your, your thinking and your. Um, in fact, I think what what I would have done. The advice I would have given myself is, uh, have a, a far stricter written trading plan about. Risk entry and exit, and also have a written thinking plan. Because if you uh, if you're inconsistent in the way you think, you'll get inconsistent results. So as I said, now if you, uh, in fact, anyone out there listening, if you go back and look at some of the mistakes that you made, approach a signal where perhaps you thought it was Friday, so you didn't want to take it, or some other lame excuse like that, and then go through those four points. A signal is generated. Doesn't matter when it is. Say to yourself, right, price will go higher or lower than I, I could ever think. Make myself available to the market. Place the trade and then manage the outcome of that trade with stops. You're going to find it much easier rather than going, oh, gee, the last three trades I've had that haven't worked, this one probably won't. Oh, I won't take this one. That's guaranteed to be the trade that boom, makes all the money. And you're not, and you're not. there's, there's nothing more frustrating than when you've talked yourself out of doing something because you haven't had consistent thinking patterns. I suppose the biggest advice I've myself now is have that written thinking plan. It doesn't have to be, you may think that what I've said is far too long and you just want to have a Nike approach, just do it. Uh, if that works for you, great, it might be all you need. Um, in fact, the reason I like listening to these things, it's learn from those that do. Do you remember, um, in fact, this will be the last thing I'll say. Remember John Kennedy's um, AFL speech where he said, don't think, do and he was trying to encourage all the footballers that they were in playing on a grand final, the most important game of their life. You don't want to come off at the end of the game saying, oh, I wish I'd done this, I wish I would have done that. Um, but that, that that halftime speech, great words, but let's get all the hysterics of talking to brain-dead footballers and, and look at, at, a, at a training scenario. All we've got at the is what's happening now. I think as adults we spend a lot of time looking back in the future, the past, and then you look to the future, what might happen, you sort of become a time traveler. So another statement that I think is really good from that John Kennedy speech is, do and when I've done, I can say I did. I'll repeat that again, do and when I've done, I can say I did. So that's past, present and future. There's no point saying, "Ah." and if you don't, all you can say is, I didn't and I wish I had it. So it's do and when I've done, I can say I did. And I think that's, that could be another really simple little thinking plan, because you know, it, when, when you're on a, a winning streak, this seems easy, but when you've had two or three losses in a row, that's when it becomes challenging and you start to question yourself. There's nothing worse than not taking a trade that takes off and you've talked yourself out of it because you've done, um, you haven't had that consistent thinking.
1: Yeah, I think we've had a. Um, uh, this has been. Sorry, I, gonna, I think it's been uh, really, really interesting to uh, get some of your ideas about trading. I love how we sort of delved straight into psychology. It's something that we've been meaning to talk about for a long time, and I'm glad that we sort of we sort of got to it. And and you know, it's it's interesting. You know, people always talk about a lot about the shinies of trading and and the, the fancy side of it, um, but it, it's. It's exactly the uh, rigorous uh, side of going through, you know, you mentioned things like journals, you mentioned things like trading systems, you mentioned things like weekends uh, where you go on and review and I guess just to, to, to uh, comment on the last comment uh, was that, you know, it's interesting how how much you truly, like you've got to be, when, you, when, you, when you're in your trade, you've got to not think. that's, that's, you know, you've already had to have your thinking at the point that you made your entry, you have to have a clear idea of where your exit and your stop is, and it's on the weekend that you do your thinking, uh, or periods where you're not trading, you can go and actually review what you did, why you did it, why it was right or why it was wrong, whether it was profitable or not, Um, and I think that it was, what I really liked about today is going through and talking about some of these things, and listening to your views about that. Um, and uh, I'm glad we finally spoke about psychology. It's good. It's good. Thank you so much for that. That's fine. Yeah. And Mark, thank you for the most compliments us. about my volatility. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Good. Yeah. Uh,
0: so, Mark, thank you very much for joining us. And I think, um, it, again, uh, to sort of uh, reiterate what I've been saying, it's great to have someone on who's coming from, doesn't come from, I guess, the professional side of the market's has come in as a trader uh, and gone on to become a full-time trader. We've had a lot of guys in there that are full-time traders, but they've come out of being market makers or funds managers and the like and have been brought up through the ranks there with a lot of, I guess, the traditional mentorship around them. So, Mark, really inspired a uh, great presentation. Um, uh, you, you know, um albeit it, goes, it flies in the face of what these sessions are about, you'd make a great uh, trading mentor to people out there. So um, maybe, uh, maybe you should think about a, a side career in, uh, in, in giving people uh, some uh, psychology coaching around <laughs> oh, trading. Okay. And, uh, I think, I think
2: the thing months. is, for anyone listening, do the research, look at the charts. If someone tells you an idea... Okay, I don't know if that's true or not. I'm going to I'm going to look at the charts and do the work and look and look and look. And then it's not until you can see something for yourself that you can actually take action on it. And I'll give you one quick little thing. I was um, uh, got a really good idea from um, trading support and resistance areas using candlesticks, and and basically it said that, that when approaching support, what the small bodies are telling you is that the cells are running out of steam. When you're approaching resistance. What the small bodies tell you is that the buyers are running out of steam. Now, I, I thought, that's great. And then I looked at it, and six months later, I hadn't even implemented it. Why? Because I didn't take ownership of it, and I didn't write it out enough so that I could actually see it. So uh, it's really important, if you hear some good ideas, spend some time. And not when the market's open. You know, have a glass of red while you're looking at something and, and, and do it <laughs> after, after hours. You'll find it's much – because when, you, when the market's closed, all of a sudden, you can see all this stuff that you can't see when the market's open. I don't know why that is, but it, it seems to be Absolutely, easier. To yeah.
1: Hmm. Yeah. yeah, particularly on the weekend. Hmm. Hey, Mark. Just uh, obviously, you know, your surname being Bull, are you? Uh, what's your view on the market over the next? Uh, are you, you going to go against your surname or? Uh,
2: no, uh, oh, look, I, I must admit. Look, I, I think. You know when people say, "What's the what's your favourite trade?" I would have to say a double top at resistance where you get that three gapping move, which culminates in a large gapping um, candle with a spike in volatility, because they're the most profitable trades you'll ever see, I think. Mm. Um, so I, that's a very good point. I mean, I I, I, I still think the, the, the bearish side of things could, could be fantastic because you get a spike in volatility. Sure, you get this, this bullish move, but you mm. don't get all of a sudden volatility doubling uh, in, in, in a week. Like you don't get a, you don't get a, when the market's going up you won't see implied volatility go from 11 to 20 but when the market's going down you'll see that happen so that's that's one of the reasons why um, I, I know people who say oh look you should never short an index I think that's madness because if the the problem with people who think like that they're probably looking for a breakout but I tell you what by the time the breakout happens on a short or buying a puts trade the, the implied volatility has gone up you're too late. And, and it's, I used to do athletics at a very average level. And, and one of the, the things that I look for, as an analogy, is I used to do the 110 metre hurdles. If you don't get that first hurdle right, you've got Buckley's chance of even doing it. In fact, if you look at the Olympic finals, there's been world champions who faulted the first hurdle and the race is over. So that's sort of one of the things that I sort of take into buying puts. If I don't If I don't get that at the start, I'm not going to chase it. That's just what that's just folding fault in my thinking, perhaps, but it's just the way it is. Everyone's different.
0: Oh. Uh, look, um, thank you very much for coming along tonight. For those of you that are not on our platform or not trading with us, um, you can take a 30 day uh, trial by typing in yes into the chat box and we'll get you set up. Um, we offer the uh, lowest cost online broking, the ability to do spread trades online, a whole bunch of other stuff. Indeed. And if you want to get a trial, just type in 30 days and um, we'll get you set up for that. But we specialise in working with traders um, and I get a lion's share of our clients, are very active traders, a lot of very experienced traders use our technology. But it is simple to use and it is there for people who are beginning and that's why we, we run the ASX Options Trading Game it's a really great way of bringing people in to practice in the live market. Tomorrow, we're running a session, which is, I think, a very important one for anyone that's new to options or experienced, uh, which is talking about volatility, implied volatility. Um, and so, Ivan and myself will be joined tomorrow night by the Head of Derivatives for the ASX, Graham O'Brien, um, who uh, is very knowledgeable on that, and he's going to be there for a Q&A as well. So, uh, any questions you've got regarding anything to do with the markets, market makers, liquidity, anything that you want to discuss with Graham, bring those questions along tomorrow night um, and uh, we look forward to, to having you on. Mark, again, thank you very much. Great presentation, really, uh, really, really good, some great lessons in. You're spot on, on point uh, on so much stuff. I, it, was, it was great to hear. Um, singing from the same hymn sheet, uh, definitely. So, um, thank you very much, Ivan. Good to see you online. Thank you to everyone. Uh, big audience online tonight. Um, thank you to everyone taking the time to join us. And um, we'll see you. we we'll be back on next week. Speaking. I haven't, I haven't uh, confirmed a speaker for next week, so um, I've got a, I've got a couple of people that I've got to get around to getting in contact with. But if anyone would like to join us as a as a trader. Um, we've had some great speakers on we, are, we we like having people from a diverse background sharing their story so uh, if you don't you don't have any options trader it doesn't matter just um, come get in contact uh, or put a note in as you're leaving the session and uh, we'll get in contact but uh, thanks again guys have a wonderful night and uh, we'll see some of you back on tomorrow night oh, and if you want to come along Tomorrow night, you t- type in attend if you haven't booked in already and we'll get uh, an invite
1: out to you tomorrow. Wonderful. Thanks, guys. Okay. Thank you.